For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's why he is so amazing and we should stay amazed. Thank you for uh, worshiping in spite of uh, you know, technical difficulties. I guess we had them downstairs as well. Um, so the enemy doesn't like uh, God being worshipped nor his, or his truth being taught, but we're going to teach God's word anyways. Because that's, that's what we do here at Grace Point. Um, how many of you have ever been in love? Can I see your hands if you've ever been in love? Okay, now if you're married, you probably should have your hands up. Okay, just, just trying to help you out here. All right. Um, how many of you, and I'm going to put my hand up first. How many of you, because you were in love, you made a complete fool of yourself? Yeah. Yes, I'm proud to be in that club. Uh, I met Candy uh, at college, and um, early on, I was like, she's the one, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm smitten over there. Only one minor problem is she was already engaged to somebody else, just a minor problem, um, but uh, we became really good friends. Um, her fiance was, was on the other side of the country, and I, I, when I saw his picture, I was like, I am not in that category. I was super skinny, with a little big old afro, uh, and here's a wrestler football player. I'm like, eh, I, that's not me. And I knew right away she's out of my, out of my league, but I was going to swing anyways. And they broke things off, and we, again, this friendship was really good. And, and, and when, I, when I heard that she grew up all her life with motorcycles, I went, hmm, interesting. And they have enough pictures of my wife as an infant around motorcycles, even dad holding her on the motorcycle. And then when she turned 16 in California, on the day she turned 16, she, she got her driver's license and her motorcycle's license the same day. And they ride, they rode motorcycles all the time and, and stuff like this. And so now we're on the other side of the country in Virginia, and uh, she mentioned about all this love. And I remember going back to my dorm one day, and I see a guy near my dorm. I had no idea who he was parking his motorcycle. Thought came to me. I went over to him. I said, hey, my name is Barry. I'm in that dorm right here. There's this girl named Candy who she has her motorcycles license. She loves motorcycles. I'm trying, I'm trying to earn some points for this girl. Is there any way possible I can borrow your motorcycle? And he's like, yeah, no problem, you know, and just bring back the keys and all this sort of stuff. So I, I, I got a hold of Candy, said, meet me at this place, and I, and I come riding up. Park it, get off, and I'm like, there you go. She was like, are you serious? I'm like, yes, I am, in many ways. I'm sorry, I didn't say that. <clears throat> so she gets on, and I get on the back. And for a long time, we went all over campus with me on the back, holding on. I wanted to do this, but I wasn't, we weren't ready for that. I was, she was not. And so I'm holding on the back and I didn't care what people thought. I'm scoring some points there with this girl, all right, because I really, really liked her. Well, that paled in comparison to what I'm about to tell you. Now we're dating. And we go back for summer break. I go back to Northern California. She goes back to Southern California. I wanted to talk to her all the time. And if you're old enough to remember when long-distance phone calls was very expensive. Anybody remember that? 
And so my dad, with all the love that he had, because money was always really, really tight in our family, he goes, I know, I know, you want to talk to Candy. And I want you to talk to her. And, but here's the condition. You have to go find a pay phone and put quarters in if you want to talk to Candy. So I did. And there was a thrifty store and a bar and a pay phone right in the middle. And I had all sorts of coins, quarters. And I put quarters and quarters and quarters and quarters. And then, because um, I, I wanted to hear her voice. And then one night, I'm lying in bed, and I had an inspiration. And I get up, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, and I began to write a love song to Candy. Starting with, I called you on the payphone. I was going to be the next Lionel Richie 2.0. And I, it was amazing. I go to my friend who was a musician, and he says, oh, yeah, I can compose this and stuff. And then I went, I have keys to the church. So when nobody was around, we went to the church, went up into the uh, sound area, pushed record from a, for, for a cassette tape. If you don't know what a cassette tape, Google it after church. And then we ran down. He went to the piano. I went to the mic, and I began to sing my love for Candy. There's only one minor problem. He wrote it like two keys higher than I should have, but I didn't care. I sang my love song to Candy that I wrote, produced, and he put it to music. And I want to play you a short clip of that <laughs> right now. Heck no. Do you think I would do that? There's no way I would play it is securely sealed in the vault of Candy's heart. <laughs> See, we, we do kind of the craziest things for love, don't we? I didn't care. Now, she said, oh, it was so nice. And she probably was thinking, that was horrible. But I didn't care. It was worth the effort. Why? Because I loved her. We do all sorts of things when we are in Love. If you're joining us, we're in part two of our series called The Vow. The Vow, and, uh, and it's for, for married people, for those who want to get married someday, take really good notes. Um, even if, if your spouse is no longer alive and you have influence on the lives of younger couples or, or grandkids, is a good resources to pass on to them. Last week, part one, the first vow if for your notes is this, is that I promise, I vow, I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. We talked about God needs to be your one and your spouse your two. Not your parents, not your job, not even your children. We talked about that. It's online if you want to watch that if you weren't here. That's the promise. Here's where we're going today. Vow number two, it's this. I promise to always pursue my spouse. I promise to always Pursue my spouse. Not just when you're newlyweds, not just when you've passed five years, not when it's easy. I am still pursuing my wife when we're going on 38 years of marriage. I'm still pursuing her. She still pursues me. That's a vow we're going to talk about today. He, uh, go ahead and take a, your Bibles and turn to Genesis 29, if you would. Genesis 29. The problem is this, and this is way too common. In unhealthy marriages, the pursuit stops. Somewhere along the line, the pursuit stops. 
And that is why it's unhealthy. You look at healthy marriages, they're still pursuing each other. They're still pursuing each other. I'm going to be in my walker, and Candy will be in her walker, and I'm going to be still pursuing that girl. Trying to reach to hold her hand. Trying to talk to her. Pursuit never stops for healthy marriages. Now, let me, let me ask you this question. Think about this. In what area of life does laziness make things better? Makes things improved. I mean, our bodies. I mean, if we just don't care and uh, we just eat what we want to eat and we don't exercise because it's too uncomfortable and we just sit around and all that, do you, do you think our body is going to improve that way? Never, never, especially as you get older, metabolism changes. Uh, if, you, if you created a business, you started a business, and all the hard work and all the advertisement and all the marketing plans and, and the effort and the extra hours when, when you're launching this business, if you ever get to the point where, you know what, I'm just going to kick it in neutral, I'm not really going to spend money for you know, advertisement and, 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 and all that, is that going to keep your business healthy? Over time, no. How about our yard? Just springtime, right? Our yard, is it going to improve if we do nothing to it? No. So if you're ever in a marriage and you start looking around and seeing that, oh, the grass is greener on that side of the fence, stop looking and start watering your own grass. Start looking and wondering and being discontent and start watering your own grass. Now we're going to go back to Genesis like we did last week. The basis, the start of, of marriage that God started. He said this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Last week we unpacked the word leaves. All right, we, we, we relinquish, we depart, meaning I love you mom and dad, but now I am, <laughs> I'm placing this as the number one man in my life. I still love you dad. All right, this is the number one woman in my life. I still love you mom, but she's number one. That's that leaving. We're going to talk about the word united. In the Hebrew, which gives word pictures, the word, uh, the meaning for united is to cling and to adhere, but also in the root word of this Hebrew word, it means to catch by pursuit, to pursue hard, meaning to glue and to pursue, to glue and to pursue. That is what this word means. Now, this Hebrew word, I'm going to show you three different ways in the Old Testament it shows up. In Psalms, talking about a relationship with God. This is that, it's that word, Hebrew word, debak, right? Debak. I cling, I adhere, right, to you, God. Your right hand upholds me. In the book of Job, same Hebrew word. It's saying that they are joined fast uh, to one another. They cling, they debauch together and cannot be parted. They, they cling, they adhere. In the book of Judges, it says this, that they debauched, meaning they pursued hard after them. It's the same word picture to describe God's plan in marriage for husband and wife to be glued and to still pursue, pursue hard. Now, one of my favorite pursuit stories in the Bible is with Jacob and Rachel. Jacob, he, he, was a, he was a conniver, he was a deceiver, 
he deceived his brother Esau out of his birthright. And when he found out, Esau found out, he got so mad, he says, I'm going to kill my brother. I mean, he wasn't talking figuratively. He was literally, I'm going to kill, kill Jacob. So Jacob runs away. And he runs away and finds a group, people group, and there he sees her for the first time. Oh, Rachel. He, I mean, love at first sight, Rachel. He goes to her father. He says, I'm in love with your daughter, Rachel. I would love to marry her. And his father goes, well, on this condition, before you marry her, you must work for me for seven years. Work for me for seven years. And Jacob was like, no problem. No problem. Look at verse 20. So Jacob served seven years. <laughs> seven years um, but for, um, to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. It didn't matter. Yes, I'll work long hours, long days with cattle, with sheep. Why? I don't care. I am in love with Rachel. Well, the day finally comes. Seven years has been completed. He fulfilled his commitment goes to his future father-in-law and says, I'm done, I love Rachel, I want to marry her and make love to her. That last part you probably should not tell your future father-in-law. Okay, leave that part out, all right. And he says, I, I want to marry her. So they're getting ready for a marriage and then the ceremony and then the, all the family and friends, they, they, they party while the couple goes into the bridal chamber. I'm so glad we don't do that anymore on the same grounds. They hear a little special tent where everybody knows what's going on inside the tent. Well, obviously it was dark and there's no candles. He makes love to his wife. And he wakes up the next morning and looks over. <gasps> it's not Rachel. It's her older sister, Leah. He's like, what in the world? He goes to his father-in-law like, you deceived me. Cause and effect. He's the deceiver got deceived. He said, that is not who I was supposed to marry. This is not, I'm not supposed to marry to, to Leah. You, I, you promised me Rachel. And then his father-in-law is like, well, little fine print in our culture. Uh, we have to give away the oldest sister first. But... If you work for me seven more years, Rachel can be your wife. Huh. Look at verse 27. He says, finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Verse 28, first part. And Joseph did so. Why? Because he's in love with Rachel. He's in love, madly in love with Rachel. Now, let me just be clear. He didn't have to wait seven years and then get married to Rachel. After that week, uh, after the bridal week for Leah, can you imagine how awkward this whole thing is? You really should read the Bible. There's some amazing stories in there. After that week was over, he gets married to Rachel. Now, here's the principle I want you to hear clearly. Jacob worked for Rachel after he already had her. He's already married to her. 
He worked for his wife, although he already had her. Now, if you are not married, listen very carefully. I am going to try to help you from massive heartbreak and frustration. If you ever date someone who they just start taking you for granted and they stop doing all the things that attracted you to them in the first place, if they stop that and they, they are taking you for granted, stop dating them. End that relationship. I'm trying to, it sounds harsh, but I'm saying, if you think it's going to improve when the ring is on your finger, it is not. They've already showed their pattern, their colors, their colors. Why? Because you are worth pursuing. And it's not just the men who pursue, it's the guys who pursue, it's also, it's, it's back way. It's a two-way street. If you're already married, keep pursuing Make this vow, vow, I am going to continue pursuing my spouse. Why? Because in unhealthy marriages, the pursuit stops. At some point, it kind of fades away. You know, life gets busy, life gets complicated, more distractions with jobs and maybe children, uh, you know, gained weight, uh, you know, different distractions, and the pursuit slowly disappears. Healthy marriages keep pursuing, keep pursuing. Now let me let me talk to the guys for just a second here. Men, pursue her with words of affection. Pursue her with words of affection. Now, I need to be clear. These are non-sexual words of affection. Some of you didn't hear me. These are non-sexual words of affection. Let me say it a different way. Use words of affection that are non-sexual. All right? Am I making myself clear? All right? Because, man, we, we can take any phrase and turn it. Any phrase. She, Honey, have, have, you, have you rotated the tires? I can rotate your tires any day. <laughs> we, we, we're gifted. We have We have gifts. And that's not what I'm talking about. That was not my notes. <clears throat> always get in trouble when I go off my notes. Honey, you're beautiful. Tell her that often. You're beautiful. Tell her you love her, but not just I love you. Maybe throw in why sometimes. I love you because... You are amazing when you do this. You are so selfless. I love you because you try best to honor God. Tell her, if I can marry you all over again, I would do that every time. Wives are like, amen, brother. Preach it, Barry. Let him know. Let him know. Don't be, guys, don't be like the guy that went into counseling with his wife. Problems in their marriage, they go to a counselor and the wife is like, he just never tells me, he never tells me, he loves me. The counselor looks over at him and says, is that true? He goes, honey, on the day we were married, I told you I love you. And if it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> don't be that guy. Tell her often why. Men, listen carefully. Your wife needs to know and hear 
and answer this question, does he love me today? Does he love me today? Does he love me even though my body has changed? <laughs> my hair is changing colors, which means you pay lots of money to cover it up. She needs to know that, she, that you love her today. Pursuit is a two-way street, ladies. Two-way street. Here's, here's this, ladies, for you. Pursue him with words of affirmation. You can tell him you love him all day, you know, and twice on Saturday. But when you give him words of affirmation, you're going to reach to the core need of every man. And, and, and you tell him what, what you see in him and the, and the character. And when you're, when you're this way as a husband, man, I'm, you know, that, that is so, that means so much to me. When I see you do this as a father, you have no idea what that does. You are good at this. You are good at that. Women, do not tell him all the time what he is not. Well, you're not this and you're not this and my dad is, but you're not, 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 not. That will take a man and have him pushed into an emotional corner and they'll put a lockbox and protect himself. Then you're frustrated he doesn't open up to you. Don't tell him what he's not. Accentuate the positives and what you see, even in seeing what he's becoming. Yeah, but I just, I just, I wish, I pray that my husband would be a spiritual leader. Well, if you keep telling him that, that is going to make him like, I, maybe he doesn't even know how. All right? It's like, and, and, like, I don't know how. And men don't want to fail. So when you see him taking steps, acknowledge it. Like, honey, when you come to church with me, I feel even more close to you. He's like, huh? When he prays, maybe he doesn't pray all the time, he prays, you know, around the meal, whatever, come up to him afterwards and just whisper to him, you are never more attractive to me than when you pray. He's going to go, all right, kids, gather around. We're, I'm, dad's not done praying yet. <laughs> Affirm him. Affirm him. Pursuit is a two-way street. And all the men are going, amen, brother, preaching it, preach it. It's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. Why, women? Because your husband needs to know the answer to this question. Does she believe in me today? Does she believe in me today? So I'm going to give you a couple action steps. It's this. For both of you, when you think something good, say it. When you think something good, say it. Don't think, oh, I really like when he does this, and you don't sell. You get no points, no points at all for thinking it. You got to say it. Now, there's um, um, John Gray, and then we had Mark, uh, Mark Gunger come to our church, did a marriage uh, weekend uh, retreat here. It was awesome. And they talk about this point system, and there are point systems, by the way. And us men, we think that, you know, I take out the trash. <laughs> That's a thousand points right there. No, ding, one. That's it. One. All right. I, I work all day, every day this week. I put in long hours. Ding, one point. One point. All right. When you think of something to say that's good and you say it, bing, one point. 
if you think as a husband or a wife that, you know, we're just going to wait until a, their birthday or Christmas or Valentine's Day, and then you just kind of go lavish and you kind of go big and stuff, okay, but if it's not a constant dose of affirmation, affection, those things, if it's not a constant dose, you really, all you get for Valentine's Day, ding, one point. I like lots of points. So you say, you do. You say, so when you think of something good, you say it. You say it of what they mean to you and how much you love them and why and you appreciate and, and you don't take them for granted. Now there is a verse in Hebrews I want to show you that we need this verse now in our culture more than ever. More than ever. It says this in Hebrews, encourage one another how often? Daily, daily, as long as it is is still called today, meaning, uh, I think I'll share that tomorrow. No, while it's still today, encourage someone so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Let's pause right here. We have a deceiver called Satan who lies every time he opens his mouth. And we are in a culture that we are broadcasting lies so loud about our worth, our value, how important we are. And all we are hearing everywhere we turn in our culture is negative, critical, and condemning. And the last thing that needs to be in a marriage is a critical, condemning, negative spirit. That's why he says encourage one another daily because if we start buying into the deceitfulness and, and the lies of Satan, it, it, that it will make our hearts heart. That's why we need encouragement daily. You think of something good about her, tell her. You think of something good about him, tell him. You can text it, that counts. All right, but tell him, tell her. Now, I've never, ever have seen this or heard about this where someone says, hey, can I talk with you? Sure, go ahead, come here, come here, come here. Um, I need a favor. Will you, will you please stop encouraging me so much? I'm just, I, I, can't, I can't take any more. Can you just dial down the encouragement? Has anybody ever heard that before? no. Most of us are starving for someone to encourage us. If you're a spouse, you be that person. You tell her. You tell her. You tell him. Now, a second action step is this. When you think something special, do it. When you think something special, do it. If you know your spouse is home... And you usually arrive after they are there. And that day, it happens and you have the freedom and flexibility in your work schedule. And you got your stuff done. And you are able to go home early. And you think, you know what? I'm going to go home early. Do it if you're able to. And when you come in the home and, and they say, oh, oh, you're home early. Yeah, I was thinking about you. And I had a little extra time. I wanted to see you. Ding! Okay, some of you are like, better write that down. Okay, write that down. Um, my wife and I had an idea a while ago that uh, we got all these kids at home and they're home from college and stuff. So we, we went, and it, I'll give credit, it was Candy's idea. And it was extra special because of her cold issues is we grabbed takeout 
and we went on the dock in Silverdale. And she put down a, a, a blanket, and it was cold. Okay, anything above 70 degrees, she's freezing, and it was not even close to 70. So with our jackets bundled up, and we just had our own special picnic on the dock. She thought it, and we did it. Oh, there's, there's this game or that concert. We have the money. I'm not going to go into debt, but I think I'll buy those tickets for him. I think I'll buy those tickets for him, and let's go do it. You think something special, do it. If you go to the kitchen with dirty dishes and you open the dishwasher and then you have a dilemma, they're all clean. Somebody should put away those dishes. Do it. Ding, 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 ding. Do it. Here's, here's one I told the, the last service. If you've got ankle biters and she's tired, just say, honey, go, go, just go rest on the couch. Um, I'll bathe the children tonight. Some of you ladies are like, but he might drown them. No, he won't. He won't. Will they, will it, they get as clean with him? Probably not. But, you know, give them points for that and go rest. When it's raining... And you know her tank is low on gas. You say, honey, you stay home. I'm going to go take your car out and get gas. See how that is loving? That is thinking, you know, that would be special for her. Instead of her being in a cold in the rain, I'll take care of it for her. Write him a thoughtful note and hide it somewhere in his jacket so the next day he finds it. Text him something special so that they receive it. Do something with her or him that you know they love, but it's even better if you're with them, do it. But I don't, I don't love doing that. Who cares? They do. Now, let's take it to another degree. If they do something they hate to do, but it's better with you there, do it with them. My wife hates shopping. I'm not talking about clothes. That's a whole other message um, on finances. But she says it's her trifecta. She does, she, it's Safeway, Walmart, Costco. She likes to get them all done. But she hates doing it. And I don't do it every time. But when I can, I say, honey, I'll go with you. Every single time I hear ding. And she mentions at least two times while we're shopping. I'm just the paid help pushing the cart. She's Thank you for doing this with me. Thank you for doing this. Why? She hates doing it by herself. Guess what? I hate doing it. But I love her more. If you think those things, if it's something good to say, say it. Think something special to do. Do it. Do it, do it, do it. All right, we're going to close with some words of wisdom. Here's the first one. If you don't like what you're getting... Look at what you are giving. Zing. I don't like this. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting. Okay. Maybe not. But what are you giving? What are you giving? The opposite of love is not hate. It's selfishness. Selfishness, selfishness is the leading cause of death in relationships. 
We start thinking all about ourselves, and we're expecting them to know and help and feed and serve and bless us. Your marriage will go unhealthy quickly, quickly. Now, there's a passage in Philippians 2 that you have to apply in your marriage. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, especially all the time, but each of you to the interest of others. Get your eyes off of yourself and your needs and your expectations and your wants and your desires. Not that you can't have those, but stop focusing on that, turn it around, and start saying, I want to look at them and their needs and their hopes and desires and do whatever I can to bless them, to serve them. This passage in Philippians is followed immediately by our example, Jesus Christ, who left heaven and his resume of God was fully established. And when he came down to this nasty, sinful, dusty world, he put his resume aside to not assume all the benefits of God. And it says, and he took on the form of a servant. That is our example if you apply this passage to your marriage, uh, you're, you're, it, things will begin to turn. Things will begin to warm up. Second point of wisdom is this. To get what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. To get what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. Now, maybe you're, you're, you, you were attracted, physically attracted. He's, he's hot. She's hot. You get married based upon that. And if there's no foundation, there, there's no investment in the relationship, there's no premarital counseling, you, you're, you're going to like, woo, we're going to be in this awesome this couple. And then over time, shh, the sizzle has gone. And maybe you're here in, in, this, in this series already, things that you've never heard before. And you've never applied this. And you're like, I've never had this. Well, to, to get what you've never had, you need to start doing things you've never done. So let me go back to this passage in Philippians. Start you. You can't apply it for them. You begin to apply this passage. Place your spouse's name in this place and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit because it's all about me. Rather, in humility, value your spouse, put their name in here, above yourself. All right, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of your and put their name in it. You begin applying that, you'll see some change. The next thing you need to do if you've never done this before to get things you've never had is do what we started last week with is a 30-day prayer challenge. Husband and wife, you pray together for 30 days. It doesn't need to be lengthy. doesn't need to be anything over five minutes, but every day, if you're in the presence of each other, you hold hands. Maybe before you go to bed or you wake up in the morning or you call during, during the day or your break time and you spend some time praying together, prefer, preferably, uh, preferably holding hands in their presence. And you basically go, God, we thank you for this and this and this and help us with this, this and that. And you do it together. There is a bonding that takes place, spiritual bonding, emotional bonding often leads to intimacy bonding when you go to God together and you pray to get what you've never had, you need to start doing things you've never done. Now, some of you, the marriage has drifted, the, 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 it's cooled off. Here's your, here's your point of wisdom. 
to get what you once had, you must do what you once did. Romance, the word romance, in the definition, the verb of romance is to court, to woo. It means pursue. I don't think anybody's in this room has an arranged marriage. Uh, parents came together and said, you're going to marry him or her. You have no point, you have no vote in it. I don't know, or maybe I haven't heard of yet, that any of you uh, received a bride from the mail order, you know, like a mail order Russian bride. Anybody? Okay, no. You're like, but I'm not romantic. Now, what stopped? You did pursue her. You did respond in pursuit of him. You know, you did woo her. You know, you did woo him back. You pursued. That's romance. You stopped. So if you know, somewhere in your cognitive thinking, they really enjoy quality time, then start giving it to them. That's communicating that that you love them. If you know that they enjoy it and they respond every time you do something, they go, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that you did that. That means that act of service was a communication to them that you love them. If you know that, start doing acts of service. If you know that they like little gifts, I'm not talking expensive, elaborate gifts, but every time you bring something home, and if it's just for your birthday or Christmas or Valentine's Day, you are anemic in gift giving. If it's just something simple, meaning it's an it's a, it's a expression of I was thinking of you, and you know they like it, start buying the kids again and give it to them. If you know that they, they, they used to love holding your hand or even hugging, the, the, the appropriate, you know, physical, uh, non-sexual touch, and you know that they enjoy it, start hugging them again. Reach out and grab their, their hand again. What if they push it away? Fine. Next time it's available, try to snap your back. You try to communicate to them, I love you. I'm going to close with a reminder that God places a very high value on marriage. Why? Number one, he created it. He designed it. You do it his way, it works. We live in a culture where marriage has been devalued, debased, and redefined. But you go back to God's way, you're going to reap God's blessings. Why? Because he values it because he created it. He designed it. Second of all, don't miss this, God values marriage because it's a picture In the Old Testament, his relationship with the nation of Israel, God viewed it as a marriage. And when they went chasing after Baal and other idols, God felt jilted like a husband would feel jilted. He felt like that you abandoned, you are committing a spiritual adultery. That's why it hurt God so bad, which led to punishment from God. In the New Testament, the picture of marriage is Christ and his church. And followers of Jesus are the bride of Christ and Jesus is the groom. That's why God punishes sins within a marriage. Because the value he places on what he created and the picture of what it is. Now in the book of Revelation, it's not Revelations, A revelation from Jesus Christ. Jesus sat John down and said, write these things down. And very early in that book of Revelation, 
Jesus says, I want this, uh, for this church, i got seven churches I want you to communicate to. Here's what they're doing well, and here's what they need to fix. The very first church, remember, thinking of this picture, the very first church was Ephesus. He says, you're doing this and this and this really well. Then Jesus says this, but I hold this against you, Ephesus. You have forsaken the love you once had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, have how far you have drifted, and repent. I mean, turn around and do the things that you once did at first. This principle applies to a marriage. Again, the picture of Jesus and his body, Jesus and his church. This applies to a husband and wife. If you've drifted, you're probably doing some good things good. But if Jesus is saying, I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You can give all the reasons and all the reasons why they're guilty. Just think about you and consider how far you have fallen, how far you have drifted. Repent, meaning turn around and start doing the things you did at first. It will help heal your marriage. So the, here's, the, here's the vow. I promise, I vow to always pursue my spouse. Our best example of this is God pursues us. Even if we don't want God, he's been pursuing us. That's why Jesus came. He's pursuing us. He's wooing us. He's courting us to be in his family, to trust Jesus as our Savior for what he did on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate picture of love. And after we're saved, God says, great, you're my family, I'm moving on to other people. He still pursues us. He still pursues us, even if we're running from him or ignoring him. Because God is the definition of love. He pursues us and continues to pursue us. Let's apply it to our marriages. Let's pray. God, thank you for the pictures in your word. Thank you for the value you place on marriage. And I pray that you'll take, the people here would take your truth, your principles, and begin to apply them for the first time or go back to applying them now. And God, may you heal broken, dead marriages. Restore and revive those marriages. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.